Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. New Year's is a time, many times, where we make, make resolutions. Anybody make New, New Year's resolutions, right? Um, because I think during New Year's, many times you're like, oh, what am I doing? How am I doing? And, and this section of scripture, they had people in the church who called themselves believers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, and yet there was some kind of discrepancy with how they lived their life. And John, the apostle, the one who you know was called the beloved, who spent time with Jesus, is saying, hey... You want to know if you're a believer, here are some tests. Here are some things that will show you if you are a believer in Jesus, if you truly have the life of God in you, if you're truly saved by grace through faith. But I want to get into that this way. I want to take a little running start because even though I'm looking at chapter 2, right at the end of chapter 2, you have kind of an interesting passage that for years puzzled me. Like, I didn't want to say one word in this scripture when I would tell people their sins are forgiven. John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful. And see that word? And just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, it... What does justice mean, right? Like grace is when, like let's say you sin and God throws you a party, right? That's grace, right? And mercy, you could say is you sin, you do a crime, but you don't do the time, right? But justice, do you want justice from God? No, I don't want it either because what do I deserve, right? The wages of sin is death, right? And so... Why can we say if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive? I would like that to just say he's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But they stick that word just in there. And you're like, why is that? You know why? Because when God, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of everyone, didn't he? Right? Whose sins didn't he die for? And if you believe in Jesus, right, it's like you've cashed the check. Like, he died for my sins. And so before God in heaven, before the throne room of God, Jesus stands there and says, Father, I took that punishment. You can't punish him twice. That would be unjust. That would be, get it? So it would be unjust for God to punish us twice. This is a picture of Ken. He went home to be with the Lord. And then that's Trevor. And Trevor spoke at his uh, service and did a marvelous job um, giving a a eulogy and a message. It was just wonderful. And, And, you know, I was thinking, you know, Ken, if he comes before the throne of God and God looks at Ken and says, what do you have to say for yourself? I think Jesus will look at Ken and go, I got this. He's like Ken's lawyer. I got this. I'll speak for you. Because that's what it says here in 
chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a, an, a lawyer, right? An advocate, a counselor, right? We have one who comes alongside us with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the payment. He's the propitiation for our sins. Not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. You know what the Greek word for world is? Cosmos. I like it because it's even bigger than world, isn't it? We always think of globe. But he's, he, he died for the sins of the cosmos, right? And so Jesus comes and he's our advocate with the Father. It would be unjust to punish us twice. But then he goes on and he says, and by this, now here's where the tests come in. By this we know that we have come to know him. Oh, Jesus, do I know you? He says, if you keep my commands. Whoever says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, or live the same way that he lived. So, He's saying, if I say I know God, but I don't keep his commands, I don't care what comes out of your mouth, what's happening with your life, right? Whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar, a liar. So I um, read this book, and in it, he makes this the same point, but in a little different way. In Timothy, Paul is writing to the believers, and he says, but if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, they didn't have social security back then. You know who was social security? Family and the church, right? Family and the church. And especially members of the household, they're like, hey, if the household isn't there, if they don't have members of the household, the church cares for them. But if they have members of the household and the family, they should care for them. And look what it says. If they don't care for their family, they've denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. Isn't that interesting? And and look at what uh, Sam says here. He says, I'd always seen denying the faith as theological failure. At some point, someone starts to believe what is false and then begins to deny what's true. He goes off the rails doctrinally. But here we see it is also possible to deny the faith by what we do, or in this case, by what we don't do. It's entirely possible for someone who's never strayed theologically to deny the faith practically. But it's also possible for a whole church to affirm or deny the faith either by embodying or by failing to do so. Do you see this? So, so he's saying, I used to always think, well, somebody starts believing funny and then they go off the rails. And he's saying, look, they've gone off the rails by their actions. The same thing that John is saying. There's a North Carolina pastor who was arrested following an altercation with a McDonald's employee. Um, in which he allegedly attempts to shove the worker's head in the restaurant deep fryer after punching him in the face multiple times, according to police. 
So, you know, I, I give that, because who knows, maybe that'll be me next week, right? Um, I, I give this as, as an example of kind of going astray. Now, here's the backstory. His wife was being trained as a manager, and the people who worked there were totally disrespecting her. She calls her husband. He runs up there, and he's going to stick up for his wife. I'm going to fry your face, you know, like... Um, <laughs> Now, it's a, little, it's a little over the top, right? And thank God that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And, you know, he's, he's actually in, uh, in a good camp because years ago, now this may be true, it may not be true, but you remember St. Nicholas? You know St. Nicholas. We just celebrated something that had St. Nicholas in it, the uh, gift giver. Well, in 325 A.D., it could be true that they were discussing who Jesus is. And it's where it's the Council of Nicaea where we came up with the Nicene Creed and um, that Jesus is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father before all worlds. And there was a church leader called Arius who didn't believe that. He believed a lot of what the Jehovah Witness teach today. And uh, the story goes that St. Nicholas was so upset with him punched him in the face, or slapped him. I prefer punch. But either way, you know, and then they kind of defrocked him for a little while, and he made his way back in so we could have St. Nicholas. Um, so other people through history have not always lived what they believed either. And even in churches, I was talking to somebody who moved away, and they're like, I'm looking for a church. And they, I said, well, you got to go more than once. And they're like, yeah, we went a few times, and nobody ever talks to us. Isn't that funny? Nobody ever talks to us. You know what my dad says to me? He goes, you know something about, about your church, Douglas? Like, no, I don't know. He says, uh, people there talk to each other. <laughs> and I'm like, like what? Is that, is that like different? You know? Yes. He goes, I, I, I go to XYZ church and nobody talks to me, you know? And people there talk to each other. So keep it up, Right? Let my, you know, but, but what are we embodying, right? What are, I know it's uncomfortable maybe to say hi to somebody new or whatever, but what are we embodying? This welcome of Jesus. See, we can embody the truth as a body of believers or we can disembody, so to speak. We cannot represent the truth. I don't know, the scripture somehow is out of order, but I have a scripture uh, in here, which is Revelation 21, and in Revelation 21, it's this beautiful passage about, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven, the old earth had passed away. And, and, and you read it many times at funerals, and it's, behold, I'm making all things new. And then he says, but the, but the wicked, and I'm going to mess it up. The, you know what? I'm just going to grab a Bible. Um, give me... Uh, Revelation 21, because I don't want to misquote this. And then he says, and the one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, and that's the second death. Isn't that crazy? 
Anybody tell a lie? You read this, and I see myself, I mean, I've had idols in my heart and different, you know, it may not be like you bow down to something, but you bow down to prestige, but you bow down to money, but you bow down to putting your children higher than where they should be, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, we, and you read this, but all liars. And this, this section helps me because he's saying that if I say I'm a believer, but there isn't this life of Jesus flowing through me, if you have a light bulb and the power is going to it, but no light is coming out, is it really alive, right? No, something's wrong with it. And that's what he's saying. And those are the type of liars. And also, if you read on in this chapter, you'll see more. Who are in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, which is the second death. And I think, I think um, he says, if you follow Jesus, you, you will like, start walking like him. Like if you... If God has really done this, you'll start living like him. You'll start being like him. Years ago, a band named Phillips, Craig, and Dean had a song, and, and it went something like this. He climbed in my lap for a goodnight hug. He called me dad, and I called him bub. His faded old pillow, his bear named Pooh, he snuggled up close and said, I want to be like you. I tucked him in bed, and I kissed him goodnight, tripping over the toys as I turned out the light. And I whispered a prayer that someday he'll see he's got a father in God because he sees Jesus in me. And the chorus goes, Lord, I want to be just like you because my little boy wants to be just like me. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. Help me be a living Bible, Lord, that my little boy can read. I want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. I've got to admit, I've got so far to go, make so many mistakes that I'm sure that he knows. Sometimes it seems, no matter how hard I try, with all the pressures in life, I just can't get it all right. But I'm trying so hard to learn from the best, being patient and kind, filled with your tenderness, because I know that he'll learn from the things that he sees and the Jesus he finds will be the Jesus in me. And that's the prayer, I think, of many parents. And this is the idea here is, Lord, those who follow you will start looking like you. There's, a, um, there's a teaching by Ray Vanderlaan that years ago I was uh, turned on to. And he, he taught me that when, in Jesus' day, the, the children would be taught, especially the boys, and they'd be taught the Torah. And they would memorize sections of the, the five books of Moses, and they'd, they'd learn the Old Testament. And then, when they got to about 13 or 14, they would go and they would seek out a rabbi. Like, the rabbi wouldn't come to them. They'd seek out a rabbi, and the rabbi would question them. And if they were the cream of the crop, if they were, you know, Ivy League level, he would say, Come. Follow me. Come and, and follow me. Take my yoke, which is their teaching. Take my yoke upon you. And they would want to be just like the rabbi. I mean, to this day, when, when Orthodox Jews go to the bathroom, they come out of the bathroom and they have a prayer that thanks God that he made their body with holes. 
And the, the rabbis who have the Talmudin around them, the, the, the students who are following them, will repeat the prayer, God, thank you that my body has holes, right? Because they want to follow the rabbi and do the things the rabbi does. That was the way it was. When Jesus said, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, it was you try to be like me. You make disciples just as I made disciples. And John is looking out and going, wait, if you have the living God living inside of you, you are going to walk as Jesus walked. So the second test, the first test is, are you walking like Jesus walked? The second test is, are you growing, right? It's the test of love. Beloved, I am writing you not a new command, um, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new command that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you because darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Can I say that's a little confusing? You know, I'm I'm not telling you something new. But I am telling you something new. Right? Well, what's the command? Jesus said, love one another. Right? And then what did he say? As I have loved you. That's the new part. Right? How how did Jesus love us? Love one another as I have loved you. For whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother still in darkness... Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you will be somebody who loves. I think the simple way of seeing love in action is my life for yours, right? Philippians 2, think of others higher than yourself. Jesus gave his life for us. It's, I sink, you float. I mean, isn't that, the, isn't that the way it is? Moms and dads, you get it, right? Your kids, young kids, they wake you up all the time, right? I'm afraid, I'm this, I am, you know, whatever it is. And you sink, they float. In the morning, they're happy, and in the morning, you're using toothpicks on your eyes, right? Right? You sink, they float. If it goes the other way, your kids are hurt. And Jesus is saying, you be my follower, you sink so others float. You be the salt of the earth. You know, um, a few weeks ago, I was down in the salt mines. And isn't it amazing, the equipment? They bring this stuff down on elevators. They take it all apart. They cut that big thing in half, and then they have to weld it back together, the the bucket there. I mean, it's massive. Um, And look at at that picture on the right. I was like four miles out under Lake Erie. Isn't that cool? I know. All right, other people don't think it's cool, but I think it's really cool. I get to bring more pastors with me next year. And when I was there this year for the blessing, I talked to him and I said, you know, all work is noble, right? All work that, that is noble that promotes human flourishing. And what did I mean by that? I mean, well, you work and you get money and then your family, right, flourishes. And then 
the stuff that you make, because if, if only you flourish, that's not full human flourishing. I don't think it's noble work. There are people that do a lot of stuff and make money, but they're, they're exploiting others. But with salt, this, this promotes flourishing because if you walked in here and there was salt down and you didn't fall, you're flourishing, right? And if you drove here and there was salt down and you didn't skid into another car, that's flourishing. And the guy who drives the local truck spreading salt on the road, their family's flourishing too. But then I thought, you know, I bet some of these workers may not particularly like being underground all the time as a job. You know, in, in a sense, many, they may be the ones who are truly suffering, who are truly saying, yes, I will give my life so people are safe on the roads, right? So the plow driver, you know, is making a living, right? So my family can make a living. I am sinking, right? So other people are floating. This is all a part of how love is made, so the scripture goes on, and I think this is then one of the last tests. He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, I look at this and I go, okay, God is saying, don't love the world. But he also says, for God so loved the world. Same word, cosmos. Isn't that funny? God loves the world. He gave his only son. And then he tells us not to love the world. What are we talking? You know, so here's the deal. The, the, the world in its sinful state, has passions and desires that don't make us love the world like God loves the world. It makes us love ourselves and exploit everybody else, right? It puts us at the, at the top of the list and we want to exploit everybody else. For God so loved the world that he, in a sense, exploited himself because he saved her. Do you see the difference? It's a, God's love is sacrificial. These world loves, they're selfish, right? He, he says, he, he's saying a love for the world and a love of God are like oil and vinegar and they don't mix. He's saying, if you say you love God, but you're filled with the passions of the flesh. I mean, the, I, I, think, I think money, sex, and power are the three big ones. And when I think he says the desires of the flesh, uh, it, it could be sex, it could just be other pleasures, but, but where did God make sex to be? Marriage, right? Between a man and a woman. And some people will get married and some people won't. And in our world, we, we demand the right to sexual fulfillment in any way, shape, or form that we want. But you know that marriage and, and is just a, a pointer. It, it's like the trailer for a movie. Did you ever watch a trailer? It's not the movie, is it? See, marriage points to the divine marriage between God and his church. Marriage is just a pointer to that. And the relationship with God and his church is the, is the, full, the full cinematic feature 
And for those who say, no, I'm going to follow God and I'm, I'm, I don't need to taste of the trailer because I'm going to taste of the real thing. I'm, I'm going to get the real thing. And anybody who is married, because they, you know, you're not going to be married in heaven, but you will be married in heaven to God. And anybody who's married is going to go, this is everything I ever wanted in a marriage. Do you see that? And he's saying, if you, if you live for these temporary desires, if you make that your full goal, money, sex, power, Instagram, likes, what your fame, what, like some beauty, whatever, whatever it is, it, it forces out the love of God. And here's the deal. You may say you love Jesus, but what you really love is how you spend your time and your money and your thoughts. Like we give ourselves to that, right? We give ourselves to that. And John knows it and he's like, no, 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 no. I want to protect you from that. Do you pass this test? C.S. Lewis talks about something kind of similar because I don't think many of us go astray typically with one big act. I think it starts small. And we start thinking, I need that, I want that, I gotta have that, right? And all of a sudden it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it kind of becomes us, right? Whatever it is, the passion, the thing, our, our over-desires become what now defines us. And C.S. Lewis talks about hell like this. He goes, you know, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, it's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there's something growing which will be hell unless nipped in the bud. You see, I think the Christian life is one of like daily repentance, right? Uh, Paul writes this. He goes, so then, brothers and sisters, you're included here. We're debtors. We're debtors because Jesus died for us and, and, and we owe him this debt of love. But we're not debtors to the flesh, to our over-desires, because if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So you know, you're living your life and some temptation comes up and you're like, oh yes, I need to define myself by my performance. I know, oh yes, Lord, you're holding out on me and I'm not getting the pleasures that I need in this life. And you know what you say? That's not my life. You're not my life. No, that's not the real. The real me is a son of God. There's a section in Romans where Paul is asking a rhetorical question. Hey, why don't, why don't I go on sinning so grace may abound? What is he saying? He's saying, if Betty came up here and I said, Betty, go ahead and punch me in the face. Uh, <laughs> and she punched me in the face. And then, and then I didn't do anything. And you thought, oh, look how nice Pastor Doug is. He doesn't punch her back. So she's like, well, I'll just keep punching him in the face. And it will prove how nice he is. I mean, this is what we're saying. Why don't we go on sinning so grace may abound, right? Oh, God, I will keep offending you and hurting you because, look, you don't strike me down. Look how nice you are, right? And when Paul, how does Paul answer that question? By no means. 
Don't you know when you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death, right? So you died to sin. You know what he's saying? That's not the real you. The real me, the real you is a child of God. And when these temptations come along, you go, yep, I see that. But that's not the real me. The real me is the one who wants to follow Jesus. The real me is the son of God who wants to live forever, right? You're going, you're not my life. That's not my life. Or some of us, I've been down that road and it doesn't fulfill, right? Leads to just despair and death, right? That's not the real me. That's not the real me. Will you pray with me? Lord, we look at our lives in one way or another and truly our actions are never fully like you. You were this perfect son of God who walked this earth. But I do know that the same spirit that raised you, Jesus, from the dead lives in us. And may he who began a good work in me and in you finish his work, perform the miracle of making you look more and more like Jesus. So our lives count for time and eternity. So do the work in us, Lord. Build your kingdom, build your church, and we will say thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.